So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind podcast, where I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and you're listening to episode number 19. This is week two in my series on fundraising and resource development for early stage organizations. During this brief series, I'm bringing back some of my favorite conversations from my fundraising virtual summit last year. These are interviews with incredible folks on topics ranging from how to think about sustainability to building relationships with corporations to brand raising. As I've mentioned, when I started the podcast and called it The Mastermind, I had in mind the amazing group of women that I met with as my own mastermind every month for years when I was an executive director. They were instrumental in my growth and success as a leader and in the growth and success of my nonprofit. This was largely because we talked about and workshopped and shared information on everything from how to sustain ourselves in our work, which I've touched on in this podcast, to how to think about benefits so that our financial decisions were reflective of our core organizational values. I got information that fed my mind and information that was concrete and actionable. And that combination was really powerful. So that's what I'm excited to do here. 
This short series that I'm doing right now on fundraising and resource development is heavy on the concrete and actionable. As so many organizations head out of COVID, finally, hopefully, thankfully, folks are in an action state of mind. And so I wanted to respond in kind. In today's episode, I have a great conversation with George Suttles. I won't do the full introduction here because I do a great one in the recording. What I will say is that George is one of the most gifted relationship builders I have ever met. And this conversation about how to build relationships that translate into ongoing, in-kind organizational support is a fantastic one. I hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Fundraising Growth Strategies Virtual Summit. I am thrilled to be talking today with George Suttles, Director of Research at the Common Fund Institute. And we're going to be talking about in-kind donations. George is one of the most natural relationship builders I have ever met. He serves as a trustee on multiple boards here in New York City. He also has a history in philanthropy. So he comes to this work, he comes to the idea of relationship building and the power of networks, both just naturally and professionally. So I'm really excited about this conversation. George, one of the things that you are working on right now is building a network of Black nonprofit leaders here in the city. So as we talk, I'll be excited to hear about that as well. And you're thinking about how you've built that project up, particularly through partnerships that are really based on in-kind donations. So we're really excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Brooke. Excited to be with you. Great. So let's dive in. I know when we were talking right before we started recording, I was sharing a little bit about why I wanted to have this conversation as part of the summit, that a lot of the work that I do with small and particularly new and emerging nonprofits, I get questions about in-kind support. And a lot of times organizations think about in-kind support really in terms of donated goods, like computers or books for our kids. And those are great. Those can be really powerful. But that can also represent just a small percentage of the kind of in-kind support that is really possible. I'd love if you could talk just a little bit about when you think about in-kind support, what do you have in mind? Yeah, no, thanks, Brooke. That's a good question. So I think fundamentally, it's about shifting our perspective, and even the language we use around, you know, in-kind donations, right? A donation connotes a sort of one-way transactional relationship. You're asking someone for something, they give it to you, and then that's the end of the relationship. So for me, you know, in all of my experience working in the nonprofit sector, working for philanthropy, even working in corporate settings, it's always been about sort of mutual benefit and value exchange. How can we collaborate? How can we partner? How can we work together to achieve a shared goal that we might have? And what does that collaboration look like? It might look like the exchange of money or monetary resources, or it might be time we share together working on a project that has value for both of us. It could be intellectual support, giving of one's intellectual capacity to help another group think about a challenging problem or issue. So really just talking about it and framing it as collaboration, as partnership, trying to figure out, are there some things that you share in common that you can work on? Are there some scopes of work that you both care about that you can partner to achieve more effectively? I think even just using different language around it 
helps to open up and unlock people's imagination. You know, like let's think about how we can partner together to achieve something that we both care about. And so I think once you start talking about it that way, it changes people's perspective and it makes them more amenable to thinking outside the box with you. I love that. I love what you said about unlocking imagination. So I'd love to dig a little deeper there. I think one of the challenges that some organizations have is understanding what their side of that value exchange includes. It can be really clear what a donated good does for an organization, for example, or even volunteer support or some other kinds of in-kind support. But you talked about this really being an exchange of value, a relationship, and I think that's really powerful. How can an organization understand its value at the root of this relationship? What do organizations bring to the table? And if you have any specific examples of when you have been on the receiving end of in-kind support. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I think that's where a lot of folks in the nonprofit sector, I think that's where we sort of shortchange ourselves, right? We don't inherently understand that we're not only providing tremendous value to communities that we're in and that we're collaborating with and that we're partnering with, that there's also tremendous value in connecting others to the work who aren't traditionally steeped in it. So a really salient example for me is there are tons of corporations that are looking to create opportunities for their employees. And I tell small nonprofits all the time is that you could be that bridge, that connector to communities that a corporation's employees don't traditionally get to do work in. And that is tremendous value. And then you just need to understand how to sort of frame it and talk about it with those potential partners. Hey, we do tremendous work in the community, but we also see the work that we do as a training ground for emerging leaders. Are you looking to connect your mid-level employees to leadership opportunities? We can provide those for you. And right there, that's an intrinsic value where the employer couldn't create that opportunity themselves. And so they're willing to partner with you to get access to on-the-ground leadership training for their employees. A perfect example is when I worked in corporate social responsibility for Anthem, it was the really savvy grassroots community-based organizations that would create incredibly meaningful community engagement opportunities for our associates. And once our associates came back and spoke to us and articulated how meaningful those engagements with those community-based organizations were, it almost started an organic grassroots movement amongst the associates that then made the corporation want to support their participation with those groups. So it went from employee engagement to in-kind, you know, traditional, tangible in-kind support, computers, associate time to provide technical assistance, and then ultimately it turned into grants where a critical mass of associates were deeply engaged with a handful of based nonprofits and we wanted to support their continued engagement. So we cut checks to those community-based nonprofits to continue to support their work so that our employees could continue to be engaged. So it's really just about just being confident that you are providing a value and then just being able to articulate that value to partners who might not traditionally engage with. I mean, one of the things that you just mentioned that I think is really important to lift up and highlight for the listeners is 
that in-kind support can also be a gateway to other kinds of support. So it starts off in-kind and it can lead to grants. It can lead to deeper relationships with employees as donors. Have you seen that play out in your work while you were in philanthropy as a leader of this network that you're building? Have you seen in-kind donations be a gateway to other kinds of relationships and support? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have just a, a myriad of examples where, because I think this is what we have to remember is that relationships take time to build. Whether they are personal, professional, they take time. And part of that is trust building. Is there something that we can partner on where we can show each other that we mean what we say and we're going to do what we said we're going to do? And so what I usually like to do, especially if I think about it from I'm putting my trustee hat on, is how can we engage with a potential partner that allows us to incrementally build that trust so that down the road we can start to make incrementally larger asks. So maybe it starts off with let's do an event together. We'll bring our people. You bring your people. We'll bring two speakers. You bring two speakers. And let's see how it works. And then if that event is successful and everybody did what they said they were going to do, then you can reflect and debrief and say, wow, that was really fun. That was really successful. People got a lot of value out of that event. We should do another one, but it should be bigger. And then you do another event and it's bigger. You know, everyone did what they said they were going to do. The event was successful. When you debrief, you say, wow, you know what would be really fun? If we did a full day conference. Oh, wow. Well, you know, as the community-based nonprofit, we don't have the capacity to, to go half on a whole day conference with you, but we would love that. And then your partner says, oh, we've already had such success working with you. Let us fit the bill for the logistics of the conference and figure out another way that you can add value to make the conference successful. But they'll offer that because you already have a track record with them. And it's things like that that I've actually seen be quite successful that have led to checks being cut, partnerships being deepened, to be quite honest, board members from a partner being recruited. Because for me, I want to show you what I can do. You know, I want my organization to show you what we can do. And if we show you what we can do with resource constraints, then I can sit with you and we can use our imaginations and together think about like, imagine what we could do, not only for you, but for communities that we're in and more broadly, if we had more resources. And then the partner goes, you're right. You guys do so much. You've done so much for us. What if you had more? What does that look like? Explain to me what that would look like. And then you can say, well, you know, that looks like $100,000 to do X and Y. That would be ideal. And then the partner saying, well, yeah, yeah, I think we can do that. It would mean a lot to us to support you in that way, because that means that we'll be able to deepen our partnership with you as well. I think what you just described is sort of the dream scenario of, of every nonprofit leader. But I think it highlights a few really important things primary among them, the relationship piece, the fact that it takes time, that it can be a pipeline to multiple sources and kinds of support over time. I think another thing that's really important about what you're saying is that you don't have to be a big organization to provide value in exchange for in-kind support. That as long as you are doing good work on the ground, that's something that institutions, individuals will want to leverage, will want to tap into, and that's part of the value that organizations are bringing is their mission, is the work that they are doing. So that's really great to hear you talk about. I want to take a step back and go a little tactical 
shift for a little bit. So we now understand why in-kind support, not just donations, in-kind support and those kinds of relationships are important. How do we start? What's the first step? So if I'm a nonprofit leader, do I look at an institution and say, I really want a relationship with them and I want to see how they can support us through in-kind donations? Or do I look at my budget and I say, what can't we afford? What's the first step in thinking about meaningful, not just de minimis in-kind support? Yeah, and I think it's both, right? I think it's both and. I think you want to sort of imagine what a partnership would look like with a particular institution but be, and then start to be, but you want to do that with like a precision. Eh, it's difficult, right? I think for some institutions, you're going to have a very precise idea or precise understanding of the type of partnership you want with them and the type of value exchange you think would be beneficial to both parties. Then there are going to be some other groups where you, you like them, but you don't know quite yet, but you want them to be in your ecosystem because you feel like the more they're around, the more apparent it will become how you can partner. And then I think ultimately, which is truly tactical, is let's look at our operating budget. Money saved is money earned. If that's true, then what line items on the budget could be filled with in-kind support that would offset us spending that money on something? Is it books? Is it curriculum? Is it technical assistance? Is it space? These are things where you could say, if we didn't have to spend $25,000 a year on space to do convenings, then that's 25K we can put in our pocket or we could reallocate to some other line. If we didn't have to pay our auditors 15K a year, then that's 15K that we could reallocate. And so once you start to understand the skills or the need that you could potentially fill in kind, then you can start to be creative and say, hmm, if we had a corporate partnership with, let's say, KPMG, which is an accounting firm, and they did our audit pro bono, then we're getting a high quality, clean audit for free or deeply discounted, that would be great because then that's money that we could move to another line item. And then that allows KPMG really to flex a muscle that they already flex. So it's not a heavy lift for them. So we're not asking them to do something above and beyond what they already do. We're coming to them and saying, hey, do what you do, but do it for us and do it for free. Absolutely. I think another interesting implication of what you're saying is when you look at your budget or when you look at your program strategy, say for a year, what are the kinds of things that you might be able to do more of or better if you had more money? Sometimes that money comes from outside of the organization in the form of a grant, but it sounds like you can also think about that as money that really comes from some other line that you have now saved on. So when I was growing my organization, we did policy work, but we were a very small team. And so the idea of researching, writing, editing, and designing a policy brief just would have taken years, right, for us to sort of find the capacity to do that. And so right. in support around things like research and design meant that we could do something in a bigger, more high-impact way than if we had to pay for it just through our budget. We could take money from something else and assign it to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'll tell you this, you know, so when you mentioned this earlier, this uh, sort of black leadership resource network that I've been tinkering with for the last couple of years, our biggest thing was convening space. Where are we going to meet? You know, where's a space big enough to hold 50, 60, 70 people if needed? And so understanding that, especially for a New York City nonprofit space is at a premium, I just started asking people, like articulating what I was trying to do, understanding that it would potentially resonate with them, and asking them to be a thought partner around 
what value they could provide, not monetarily, but in terms of space. And then so I was able to get three or four groups to say, oh, we've got space. And for a marginal cost, we can keep our offices open in the evening so that you can do your convenings. Oh, that's perfect. That's great. And then outside of the nonprofit space, I went to my for-profit partners. I went to firms and, and banks and I said, hey, you guys have tons of huge conference space. What would it take? How can we think about repurposing that after hours for these convenings? And they were like, oh, actually, if that comes out of our cost center, it's marginal and we could probably write it off. We'll do it for you. We'll keep our conference spaces open for you or we'll give you access to them. And it's like, oh, okay, great. And when people don't have to cut a check, it's much easier for them to wrap their arms around doing something for you. Like, I'm not asking you for money. I'm just asking you for time. I'm asking for your people love when you ask them to be a thought partner or for you to share their, we just want to like, we want to leverage your thought leadership. People love that because people like to be appreciated for their expertise. You know, it's just being creative about the value and framing it as a partnership. You know, because if you ask people for a donation, they're going to go, ah, either I don't know about that, or they're going to say, if you're asking me for money, I need you to do a lot more work to get there, to get there, you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, that comes later sort of in the relationship. Yeah. And also you're really talking about, and this is something that's important to remember, you're talking about asking often for things that these institutions already do. So it's space they already have and use in this way. It's skills that their employees already have and are just sort of deploying to the benefit of your organization and your constituents. So that's really powerful. It's not, it can feel like a big ask on the part of the organization, but it probably is received as less of a big ask by the institution that's being approached because they're doing this work. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And just sort of keeping that in the back of your mind, like, like, hey, you guys, I've been in meetings where I just articulate that. Like, hey, I think that's half the battle is how you are articulating this. Whenever I'm in a meeting and I'm working with a group to think about how we can partner, I do a little research around, well, what are their core competencies? What do they do already? Oh, convening is one of their core competencies and we're just asking them to help us convene. I express that. I say, hey, you guys are really great at convening. And all we need from you is your help convening this group that you already care about, that you may already be planning to convene anyway. And then once you express that, you see a lot of like, yeah, you're right. What you're asking us for is a pretty light lift. We'll do it. So sometimes you just have to let, you have to say it so that they understand, you understand what they do well. And all you're asking them to do is just do that well with that, with you. Please do what you do well with us. Absolutely. And then you said, you know, I think you were saying before, make sure that as part of that conversation, the call to action or the ask is really clear. You know, what I understand about what you guys do, here's our vision, here's what we're trying to do, here's the the fit, the value exchange that I see, and here's what we'd like from you. And that that's sort of a clean conversation. So I'd like to wrap up by continuing down this path. You're offering really great concrete advice. So I would love for you to offer two to three concrete strategies that an organization interested in securing a meaningful in-kind donation should think about. So if you had sort of three nuggets of wisdom, if an organization should remember nothing else but these three things, what would that be? I think, I don't know if these go together, but you know, we talked about imagination, right? Like use your imagination and then temper your imagination with research. So Think wildly about what the many, many ways that you could partner with a particular organization or institution. 
And then do your research. Like, is there a president? Have they partnered with other organizations around this in the same way? Have they let other organizations use their space, use their employees, their faculty, their physical plant? Have they used their procurement power to help other organizations get access to discounts and economies of scale, things like that. Do your research because if they have, then you can articulate that and say, hey, we understand that you're not unaccustomed to working with other groups this way. And so we did our research and we understand that. And we'd like for you to work with us the way you worked with this other group. And then the research will either expand your imagination even more, or it will allow you to make precise, creative requests. That is really, really awesome. I always really love talking to you, George. This is a great conversation. Really, really helpful. Thank you again for your time. Been wonderful talking to you. And have a great day. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please share with your friends. That's all for now. Have a great week. And I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.